This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Nikki Mottram, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's nice to have you. Uh, Nikki is a writer from Toowoomba in Queensland. She has a background working in child protection and a psychology degree, which she uses to inform her crime fiction. She's been published in the Burundura Literary Awards. Is that right? Yes. I believe that's how you say it. I'm not from Melbourne, but yes. And uh, she's been shortlisted for the Fish Short Story Prize and the Hal Porter Short Story Competition. Her latest novel, Crow's Nest, is a gripping small town mystery about a child protection worker set in Toowoomba. So have you written fiction before? I wrote a manuscript um, before this, a contemporary women's fiction manuscript. Yeah. Uh, But it's not been published. That was kind of my apprenticeship novel, really. And so this was the second attempt I had at writing a manuscript. But it's your first published it is, yes. Oh, so it's debut fiction. Wonderful. It is. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good yeah. genre. So talk to me about what led you to writing. Um, well, I guess growing up, I always really loved books. I was raised on a diet of Enid Blyton's and Agatha Christie and Rebecca de Maurier. And I did I did well at English at school. Um, I went to see Nichols at Brisbane Writers Fest when I was about 19. And I thought, wow, that'd be a wonderful career. Um, but of course, at that point, my writing, the gap between published work and, you know, my writing at that point was just so vast. It just seemed insurmountable to to become a writer at that point. So I kind of parked it for a while. And then in my late 20s, I enrolled in a short story course at the Queensland Writers' Centre. And after one of those courses, uh, I met a group of people and we formed a writing group together. Oh, wonderful. So that was just, yes, that was just incredibly helpful on my journey, yeah, to becoming a writer. Yeah. I don't think people do that enough, actually, um, Mm. get involved uh, in a writer's group because, as you know, and I know just from listening to people's stories, how Mm. solitary that can be and how much little feedback you actually get. You know, it's interesting. We've been talking about here in our office, we've been talking about, you know, coming back post-COVID and you know, what it's like to be in person back in the office. Mm. Yes, yes. Yeah. incredibly stimulating and yes, so, much definitely. Better, so much better for you, isn't it? And I'd imagine yeah, yeah. that a writer's group is like that as well. It is. It's just so wonderful. Um, and everyone in that group is just so kind and generous mm. with their feedback. And I think mm. everyone's just kind of learned from each other over the years. It's been going for about nine years now. Wow. And, and we've all just really grown. And um, this year kind of three of us have been published at the same time. Oh, wow. So that's How just exciting. been really, Yes, it is. It's really exciting and wonderful. Yeah. They're yeah. good odds, right? 
I'm a writer yeah. in that group. <laughs> no, they are really great. So Fiona Robertson and Warren Ward have been published this year. So Oh, that's wonderful. It's been, yeah, amazing. So talk to me about your path to writing a whole manuscript because that's not easy. No. Um, well, as I said, I started off with the short stories really just to dip my toe in. So once I sort of felt like I could do that relatively proficiently, I attempted a full manuscript. And I think to that point, I was always a bit of a pantser and I could get away with doing that with the short story genre. But then, you know, I guess my first attempt at writing a manuscript, the plot, you know, I hadn't kind of sat down and thought about the plot. So it just never came together. So I guess for the second one, I'd had that feedback that the plot wasn't working. So I really concentrated on that aspect of the book. Well, I mean, it's kind of practice, isn't it? It is. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So your approach to long form, so you're in a writer's group, but also mm. your approach to it, like is it that you approach it, uh, I'm going to write 2,000 words a day or I'm going to write, you know, I, I don't know, where you're going to write yeah. for seven hours or how do you, yes. how do you approach that? Um, that sounds really wonderful. <laughs> but when I, started, when I started writing this book, I, I just had a baby and then we had another oh, baby oh. kind of 19 months afterwards. So it was actually very fragmented, the writing of this book. And I was just lucky enough to win a fellowship with the Catherine Susanna Pritchard Association in Perth. So that was great because I kind of got 10 days and I I did, I worked really hard in those 10 days and I wrote the last 20,000 words. So it was nice just to get a really good run at the end of the novel. Mm. Mm. Yes. I mean, you, you've won, uh, and this is another uh, aspect that I just want to hone in on for a bit. I really, when people ask me about getting published, not that I'd know, but because I haven't had anything published, but just from what I've heard is I really do think, I think writing groups is up there, but I mm. also think entering competitions is up there. Yes. Yeah, that's right. And it gives you that deadline, which I think sometimes you really need mm. when you're just beavering away at home. It's great to just think, I've got to get this done by a certain date mm. and I'll put it in. And it's, it's you know, it's kind of exciting waiting mm. to find out how you've gone really. Mm. And do you, so now that you've put this book to bed and it's being published, mm. and I'll come back to it, of course, but yeah, is yeah. your approach to writing going to be more of a daily kind of task? It, it is now, yes. So my children are at school and um, I'm, so I'm writing the sequel to this book, which is called Kalani. So I guess I've had a year to get the first draft of that one out. So I've been writing a lot more regularly this year, mm-hmm. okay. which has been wonderful. My kids are just that bit older now, so, yep. so I'm able to do that. So obviously what you do in your day job, I'll call it, Um, your paid Mm. job, is you are a child protection worker and a lot of those themes are in the book. Talk to me firstly how you got into the career that you're in before writing and how then that uh, runs through to your work really. Yeah. Um, Well, I studied psychology at university. I went to the University of Queensland and I did a double major in that. Um, But I guess I had gone to university and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I'd done a lot of subjects and I finally found psychology, I guess, late in the piece in my art science degree. Um, So I just felt like I'd spent so much time at university. It was really time for me to go out into the world and get a job before I went off and did my master's. So I essentially came back to Toowoomba and worked for the Department of Families as it was then when I was in my early 20s. And so that's, that's how I got into it really. 
what's, I mean, I don't know, when when I read that on somebody's CV, it mm. first mm. gives me a sense of trauma. Is that mm. is that what you're dealing with? Um, yes, it can be like that. It can be, I guess it's one of those jobs that can be incredibly rewarding and also incredibly difficult at times. Mm. You know, I think the public doesn't often really hear about the good news stories, you know, when you work with the family. No, you don't. I mean, that's the disheartening thing, I guess, about it at times is the only time you hear about it is when, when something's gone wrong and there's been a child death and it's on the front page of the Courier Mail or whatever. But, you know, there are those good news stories where you're working with a family and say the mother or someone's been struggling with drugs for years and it's finally been an opportunity for her to get involved with some rehab and counselling and support services for the family and it's just nice to come back a few months later and everything's running smoothly. Mm. But, of course, that's the story that's really heard, I guess. Mm. Mm. I guess for me the perception is that you only end up there if something's going wrong. Yeah, I think I think that's a bit of a misconception really that it's always a negative when child safety is mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think sometimes after that initial crisis it really is an opportunity to get a really solid case plan um, and get some agencies working with the family and get them some help just so everyone's a lot safer essentially. Mm. 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 Yeah, no, no, I, I'd imagine that's what it is. So yeah. when we're looking about the inspiration of the novel, that seems to come, you know, from your full-time job or your career job, yes. if you like. Yeah. And yeah. then it's set in Toowoomba. You haven't it is. moved that far away, <laughs> have you? <laughs> no, I really did. I really did. Um, I write what I know, basically. And because I had, you know, a baby and a, and a toddler when I started to write this um, I really knew I didn't have a lot of time to devote to research. So, you know, I said it in a place where I was very familiar with and in the job I currently do. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the book and talk to me about how it came to you, the idea. It essentially came to me, I was reading an article about um, the, the 30-year-old murder of two women um, and it was kind of on its third coronial inquest and I was just incredibly saddened by that story. You know, it was a murder-suicide. And my husband at that time said, I think, and I, I couldn't stop reading this coronial judgment report that was about 200 pages long and my husband sort of said, maybe you should think about writing crime. And I'd always been wanting to write about child protection at the same time about my background in that. So I guess it was just a confluence of those two ideas. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And what was yeah. it about that story that was so appealing? Um, I guess it had a lot, a lot of similarities to the Lynn Dawson case. It was, you know, as a mother and I'd just become a mother. So I guess, I, and, you know, there were young children involved. So I was 
I guess, projecting a lot of my own feelings onto what had happened and just how tragic it was. So, yeah, I was just incredibly saddened and scandalised that there'd never, ever been any justice for those women. Mm. And I also thought, yeah, that writing from the perspective of a of a child protection worker was just a really unique lens that hadn't really been looked at before. Mm. Okay, so just tell me a little bit about the real life story and then I just want to know how that then uh, really kind of um, became what you, the fictionalised story that you've written. Yeah, well, I guess the real life story was the murder of two women um, in an outback setting, I guess, mm. and initially the police declared it a murder-suicide uh, because there was, you know, some country policemen without the experience went out there. And I guess in those early hours and early days, you know, a lot of information was missed. Um, there were mistakes in the investigation. It was just, you know, sadly one of those cases where all those gaps in information were 30 years down the track, people don't know what happened essentially. And I think that's a case that kind of slipped through everyone's fingers. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's yeah. interesting to fictionalise something like that, isn't it? Because yes. you can correct all the wrongs. It is, yes, definitely. I think um, there's a sense of comfort to be found in doing that as well, I think. And I guess really the the real-life case was just a jumping-off point from the case that Dana and Angus are trying to solve in the book. So I guess it's not, it's not the entire book, but it's the central mystery of the book. Mm. Mm. Okay, and you've introduced um, these characters in the book um, mm. and, you know, that's called the, the Dana Gibson mystery. Um, yes. Is that something that you're working towards as a series? Yes, I'm actually working on the second book right now. Yes, and you it's, were saying it's, called, it's the same. Yeah, 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 so it's a sequel um, and it's set in Kalani. Um, so we went north of Toowoomba for Crow's Nest and now we're going south and it's, you know, it's got, the same protagonist and a lot of the same characters uh, and it's essentially about a missing teenage boy in foster care and a hidden run that's occurred in Kalani over a few days. Okay, so it's still got the child protection element as well. Yes, it does, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how did you come to get it published? How did that happen? So I think as I said, I'd been writing for 10 years. I'd been immersing myself in um, courses at the Queensland Writers' Centre and I'd been kind of going to writers' group on a monthly basis. And my real breakthrough came when I did an Australian Society of Authors Literary Speed Dating event. Mm -hmm. So I had three minutes to pitch my story idea to Benjamin Paz from Curtis Brown. And that went well. And then a few days later, I got an email from the ASA saying he'd like to see the manuscript. So I desperately worked on one last chapter that I'd never been happy with <laughs> and then sent it off shortly afterwards. And it was really quick, actually. It got back to me really quickly. And so it was about a week and a half later, I saw an email pop up on my watch and I just kind of thought, oh, God, it's it's too quick. <laughs> he didn't read it or he didn't like it. So I remember just telling my children to be quiet, be quiet while I went in the kitchen to read it. And I remember looking at my phone and I was kind of putting my hand up in front of the phone to kind of block it to, you know, make it feel less terrible when it was a rejection. But he actually said he really loved it and, um, yeah, just gave me a lot of, you know. When you hold your hand up to block an email, because, <laughs> you know, I am a holding hand cardigan up all the time when yes. I'm watching film and movies. Yes, yes. I'm not sure if I've ever done it in an email. Mm. 
Mm, does that help yes. with bad news? Well, you know, <laughs> I just figured that it might make it slower to digest and less painful somehow. More diluted somehow. Yes, so it's a bit, yes. Bit blurry, just read, read the first word that said, unfortunately, or something along those lines. I love that. I'm going to give that a go. Mm. Oh, it's, it's very helpful. Yeah, it's very helpful. So that that was a real thrill. So you know, getting an agent is one thing. Yes, then, yes, yeah. So talk to me about the second process. Um, so then Benjamin sent it out on submission, which was exciting, and then essentially um, I got an offer from UQP for a two book deal, which was just amazing. Yeah, and something I'd never really pictured because in my mind, UQP had been quite literary to that point. So, But your um, book yeah. reads, you know, you can have literary and a crime job yes. together. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes, And you're a lovely writer, so that works. Oh, I can see you. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and have you seen your book in print yet? I have seen The Bound Proof. I think the, the book is should be here shortly. So I'm right. very excited to yeah. open that box. How does that affect your second novel? Um, I think I just have been a bit of a second book syndrome denier, really. I've just gone into complete denial about that. And really, I just tried to put my head down this year and and write it. I just felt like I didn't really have time to have a personal crisis with the children and everything. So I just, yeah, I did the same thing as I did with Crow's Nest, plotted it out and just tried to really go for it. Yeah. Did it come more easily to you than the first it, I actually think, you know what, I think it did. Um, Crow's to me always felt like my second book, really. Yeah. I mean, I know the first one didn't get published, but essentially yeah. Crow's felt like it was the difficult birth, I guess, mm. of these, these two that I've just written. Mm. Yeah, so I think out of the two, Crow's was actually harder. And just, I guess, the circumstances of my life at that time, you know, just with having young children and the lack of sleep. and mm. I hear that a lot, parents mm. writing while they have young children. Mm. Yeah. And I think, mm, I can't, for, yeah, imagine anything harder. <laughs> yeah, I think for me it was a time of really um, raw emotion, to be honest. Mm. Um, and at that point I was still working part-time in child protection and it suddenly actually was a lot harder having my own children and working in child protection. Mm. I suddenly had a reference point for everything that I was seeing. So writing the book and giving Dana a lot of those emotions was just incredibly cathartic to me. Mm. Yeah. And do you think you'll continue working in child protection? I would always, I really, really love psychology and counselling and it's really important for me to give back in some way. So I would like to be able to continue to combine the two I have no idea what that will look like in the future but yes Mm. did having children of your own affect your job did you it did did it make you a better child psychologist in a way or did it make you more emotional or more vulnerable I am you know because what I've noticed about parents Mm. is they become big sooks after they've had a baby <laughs> but in a way that really emotional yeah. anytime you tell them a story yes. about a kid they will cry yeah, right? yeah. yes yes um because that feeling is just is there isn't it and, and yes. both, you know mums and dads you know yeah um, did yeah. you have that and how did that kind of affect your work yeah I don't think it makes you a better or a worse worker necessarily I think it's 
it kind of gave me the ability to, I guess, feel on a very personal level what yeah. some of these parents were going through and especially, you know, I was fairly well supported mm. and it just kind of gave me a lot more insight into what it must be like to really struggle mm. with various issues and try and raise children at the same time. Because it's not easy. Being a parent is just yeah. so not easy <laughs> and it's yes. probably the most ill-prepared job we ever get. Like mm. in a way, you don't. Yeah, you don't go yeah. to university for three years. Yeah, you're just thrown in the deep end. You really are thrown in the deep yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine, he uh, he adopted a rescue dog in Europe, right? Yeah, and um, he had to go to classes for three weeks. Wow. Right. Yeah. 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 And I just it does get you thinking about how mm. tough it must be to yes. come home from hospital with a newborn yeah. baby. Yeah. And think, oh my God, where the where to from here? Mm. I know. I think it can be a very scary time. And I think, mm. you know, that's why it's obviously so important to have support around that's you right. as much as you can. Yeah. That's right. And some yeah, people don't we actually that. moved. Yeah, we actually moved from Brisbane back to Toowoomba um, at yeah. the point where we had our second child because we just we were struggling and we needed some yeah. grand, grandparental assistance essentially. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I think that's it from me. So interesting. I really like that you're going to um, develop these characters and that there's a second book coming and, you know, what a great first book. Congratulations. Thanks so much, Cheryl. It's been so wonderful to be on the podcast and thanks so much for having me. I've loved it. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.